Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. I was able to build such an amazing team and the culture that we had there. We had so much fun. And it came out. I mean, we worked hard, but we played hard as well. It's always been my philosophy. And we were able to play out there and and be very successful as a result of that. This is Suncast. In every battle, there's a front line. On that front line are warriors whose courage and action shape the outcome of the battle. The world is currently engaged in a literal power struggle. A battle in global energy as it evolves from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Suncast is a conversation with solar warriors on the front lines, building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. We learn their secrets to personal and professional growth, market development, and industry insights. And now, join solar industry veteran, Latin America fanatic, and your host, Nico Johnson. Hey now, welcome back to Suncast. This is episode 54. I'm your host, Nico Johnson, and I am so glad you have chosen to be here again with me this week. Hey, did you check out the latest Tactical Tuesday? I hope you're getting a ton of value from these new shorter episodes I'm releasing midweek. But sound off, Soundcast. Do you like that new format? What topics do you want more out there? What should be offered? What should be featured? I've gotten a lot of feedback from some of you on LinkedIn, so keep that coming. Well, today on Suncast, we go deep with a friend of mine who's seen the ups and downs of this industry. He's been at the top and the bottom of the food chain, successes and failures, and lots of lessons learned along the way. Some of you may know Chad Medcroft as he was one of the key executive team members responsible for growing Zep Solar from a niche California residential rooftop player to the largest market share in the U.S. resi market, and out beyond the U.S. market with its acquisition by Solar City. We get into many details about that experience and the PTSD of being acquired by a major industry player. So tune in today as we discuss the ways Chad has helped reduce the soft costs of solar installation, the hurdles of scaling residential and commercial solar companies, benchmarks and resources for installation and engineering best practices, what it's like to watch your baby be absorbed into a larger organization, and some of Chad's aha moments and advice for others on a similar path. Chad cut his teeth in solar more than 20 years ago and has done a lot of thinking about how the industry can improve and what could have been done and what can now be done to better contribute even more in his career. I think you're going to love this discussion. Hey, a quick reminder to check out the webinar series being hosted by Suncast, Solar Lead Factory, and Solar Edge. We had installment one of three last week all about lead generation, and it was a packed house with a ton of value delivered. If you are interested in tips on how to prepare for massive growth in your solar business, go to mysuncast.com forward slash webinar to register for the next one happening on November 3rd. This episode is brought to you in partnership with soulrates.com, the fast and free online platform for providing your commercial customers with a credible lease financing proposal, quick and easy. If you have projects over 100000 in value and you'd like to see how Soul Rates can help you generate a quick financial proposal and automate the credit app process, head on over to mysuncast.com forward slash soul rates. That's S-O-L-R-A-T-E-S. Click on the request an invitation button and you will be shuttled off in the interwebs to the magic that is soulrates.com. All right. Thanks again for setting aside this time in your day. Enjoy this week's episode of Suncast with Chad Metcroft. A versatile technologist, applications engineer, technical trainer, and consultant, Chad Medcroft has spent two decades in the PV industry and has worked for leading solar companies, names you'd recognize like SolarCity, Fronius, SunPower, Zep Solar, and he's been in a sales and executive role, so he understands both how management works and how the boots on the ground react to what's happening at the management level and as companies scale. Said simply, Chad helps installers and manufacturers bring better products and services to the industry. Chad, I'm stoked to have you on Suncast, my friend. Hey, thanks for the invite. This is great. Yeah. 
Well, I didn't realize before we engaged in the the dialogue to try to get you on the show that you've actually been in the solar industry for more than two decades, and that you've got that you started back in the last century. So, could you tell me a little <laughs> a little bit about your foray into solar power and how you knew or or when you decided that it's where you wanted to bring sort of bring focus into your career? Sure. Um, well, actually, I I kind of got interested in solar uh, while taking a course back at university in '94. I uh, did a degree in economics. And this is in environmental economics and um, just realized at that time that solar was this, uh, you know, this technology that was available to the masses. It was happening at that point in time in very small scale, but but it was a real technology. And so after investigating it, I uh, took some more courses. I ended up finding a willing uh, solar installer out of Rochester, New York, who was willing to kind of take me on and under his wing and did my first install in 96. And yeah, I did, uh, did some solar thermal, uh, did uh, a hybrid system at that point in time. And this, this guy also was doing some of the first grid tide PV in the US in 96 as well. Wow. So it was just a, yeah, it was an exciting time. And, and just after, you know, being in the field, um, getting my hands dirty and, and seeing how the technology went together i was just i was hooked at yeah. that point i i bet i just as a point of reference i'd love to know from 96 i, I don't know how involved you were in the purchasing but what, what were system costs back then what were projects being sold for and what were the key components that you were installing at that time yeah um so at that point in time um <laughs> I, it's it's kind of interesting because we were actually manufacturing our own rails Wow. Um, for one thing, just out of out of uh, uh, extruded aluminum, the uh, solar thermal modules. This guy would go to the Midwest Fair and bring a truckload back every year um, of solar thermal modules. No so, way. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I believe it was uh, this was the old trace days. So I believe he was using trace inverters. Um, yeah. I, I don't even remember what solar modules, to be honest with you. They were probably Solar X at that point in time. Mm, wow. Do you recall what the prices were? I mean, he was buying these things from the Midwest Solar Fair, but I mean, I'm, I have to imagine in the in the late 90s, you're still talking in a dollars per watt, like well well over $12, $14, $15 a watt mm. installed. Yeah. So this, this was also not, um, you know, I was dealing with uh, off-grid and... Mm. Um, so right, I, right. I honestly don't recall um, pricing at that point in time, but it was, you know, these were days where um, the the cost was was more related to uh, comparing, you know, extending a line uh, for thirty fifty thousand dollars. Right, um, right, yep. From the utility company, so you know, it, it it penciled out for sure. For sure. Well, here's a question that probably ties closer to some of your uh, most recent work. What did you notice in the late '90s? And certainly as your career progressed about uh, the nature of how these systems were integrated into the home, right? I imagine a lot of these off-grid systems were ground mounted and then they began to be not only grid tied, but integrated into the home with hot water, et cetera. How were they actually physically attached to the homes in those early days? And it sort of contrasts with how, you know, you guys definitely changed uh, that aspect for residential solar. Yeah. So uh, I, I worked for a company in early 2000 in, uh, in Maryland, a company called Aurora Solar. And, uh, uh, you know, at that point in time, we used to connect, you know, four, four modules together on rails um, uh, at a time and then bring the whole unit up to the roof. You know, these are much smaller modules, keep in mind. So um, so it was, it was just a different process. Um, and systems were a lot smaller at that point in time because of the cost of PV. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, it, it physically still attached to rafters. And, and uh, uh, so many of the attachment methods were the same. But you didn't have your uh, your Uniracs and, and other uh, major, major companies who provided products specific for roof-mounted systems. I mean, you, you also didn't have companies like Quick Mount PV. Uh, making you know innovative flashings and, and mm. such, so really it was trying to take um, you know more traditional industries, uh, i.e. roofing and electrical contracting and so forth, and try to uh, pick you know parts and pieces from those industries and make it work. Very cool, very cool. 
interestingly enough, I mean, you entered, you ended up uh, spending a lot of your time uh, as your career progressed looking specifically at actively helping reduce the industry's soft costs for solar, not only through your work at SunPower, but following on to that at Zep Solar, uh, where you were, you know, you were part of a committee at NREL on the topic of reducing soft costs. I'd love to understand, edit that, what do you see in terms of results over the last three to five years from that work with NREL, reducing soft costs, and where do you think we can make the biggest impact moving forward? Sure. No, that's a great question. You know, I think that um, when comparing uh, soft costs to other countries, RMI did a, a great study uh, a few years ago comparing soft costs to from the U.S. to Germany as well as Australia. And a good majority of the, the soft costs were just um, not present in other countries or they were significantly lower. So a lot of it was trying to look at um, products, look at uh, workflow. And so we, we were able to, specifically at ZEP Solar, we were able to create um, products that uh, facilitated that. And, um, you know, specifically, we saw a lot of time um, fumbling on the roof with small pieces and parts, small hardware, um, connecting, you know, rails, connecting bolts, and a lot of times guys would fumble with that, drop it on the roof, et cetera. So what we what we really focused on were things that were um, that could go together quickly, could snap together, um, that were ideally tool free or uh, needed minimal tools to install. You know, back in 2010, um, it was sort of this perfect storm for Zep Solar because modules were becoming commodities. Um, so module companies needed something to differentiate themselves with, uh, and because module pricing and inverter pricing had already come down significantly, what that meant is the install portion of the overall, uh, installation cost was dramatically, um, uh, much greater and, uh, and overall percentage. And so, like I said, it was the perfect storm to say, okay, how do we address these bigger labor costs? How do we find ways to uh, to uh, address those uh, those costs through innovation, through better manufacturing, through better products. And I remember early in my tenure at Trina Solar being introduced to this idea of what we call Trina Mount, which was in fact uh, just a rebranding of the ZEP product internally at Trina, as Trina likes to do. And uh, that's where you and I first uh, originally met. And I, I, you know, I was impressed with the work at ZEP not only because it was trying to address these soft costs and it was certainly making, uh, I mean, by all standards, making residential solar install faster and uh, easier for the installation company, uh, you know, notably Vivint standardized around ZEP and, um, and, and many other companies were beginning to do that as well, uh, mm-hmm. which led to, which led to the, the, the ultimate acquisition, in my view, yeah. of, uh, of what SolarCity buying ZEP. But I, I'd love to hear from your perspective. You know, you came from uh from SunPower where your work was uh you know you were centered around training and quality control were you working on across the board residential as well as the utility scale stuff that SunPower was doing or was there a specific focus that you had there so i was uh i was part of the uh rvar and cvar as they call it residential value added resale as well as commercial so uh-huh. predominantly i was focused on the dealer network um, the third party dealer network and, um, you know, as a result, I was looking at ways to, um, uh, to both provide better training so that systems, um, in the field were better as, as well as then doing third party inspections. So I hired, uh, about 20, um, actually home inspectors, 25 home inspectors across wow. the country, uh, to do third party inspections for us. And, um, that kind of kicked off a very early you know, I'd say a very early version, what is now done kind of industry-wide for large companies, basically to provide bankability and and assurance to um, to 3PL uh, financing companies. Mm. So, so what um, really what I would say that that period and that time enabled me to do though is to see that the installers who I, you know I've trained thousands of installers out there. And every single time, um, you know, I'd go through a class, we'd have these, uh, these evaluations at the end of the class 
both for um, you know the the performance of the class, the training itself, but also on the products and services. And invariably, I would just get these gems of information from installers, from the guys in the field who are doing this inside and out, day in day out, um, on ways to improve the products. And mm-hmm. it was yeah, it killed me that. Uh, I would then take a lot of that information up the channel, um, and you know, uh, SunPower. It, it's a great company, um, but unfortunately, I think their process for uh, innovation and development was very uh, top-heavy, mm-hmm. and uh, and so they, uh, you know, at, at that time, um, a lot of those ideas kind of found their way into the wastebasket. So. So I found that, you know, that was one thing that I was able to take with me uh, to Zep is that we we really focused on getting that feedback from the field um, very early on and improve products and services as a result of that, which which ultimately led to much better products. I mean, it, it, interesting story. Mm-hmm. We actually we actually started at uh, uh, we started doing demonstrations for Solar City back in 2011. The early version product of Zep was was actually um, uh, the first gen was pretty difficult to install because um, you actually had to go very close to the gutter. It was kind of dangerous, and they they had pointed that out. You had to install um, the first two modules together um, and install your feet right up against the ridge and install the interlock uh, right at the front of the the gutter, which was quite dangerous. So. It helped us to actually come up with the concept of the array skirt, um, which facilitated a much easier, safer, faster install. Um, and so, you know, companies and personnel at these companies really helped us to develop a better product. And through being able to, I think, listen to that and uh, and, and kind of take that feedback to heart and, uh, and incorporate that into the products really helped that company be successful. Mm, yeah. So what I heard you say is that at some power, one of the things you noticed was a lack of uh, efficiency around iterating on product uh, based on voice of customer feedback. And when you were able to move to Zep, uh, the team that, that, that Jack allowed you to set up there enabled you to more quickly get uh, feedback, not just from the field, but from your own crew that went back to the design engineering team and, and iterated on the product more quickly? Exactly. I mean, I'll give you an example. We, we actually, uh, when we were developing a wire clip, uh, I think it was the second or third version of it, uh, at that point in time, we had a 3D printer, which made things much faster, uh, much better. Yeah. Um, but we, um, I think we went through about 70 different iterations before we came up with one that we were really happy with. Wow. Um, and that was over a matter of probably less than a month. Um, so um, that probably would have taken maybe years at at, uh, at other companies because of the pace of innovation and uh, and development. You mentioned that you hired a bunch of uh, residential home inspectors. Where'd that idea come from? Well, we needed to find a way to to scale regionally and. Um, I had worked early on um, with uh, uh, with somebody who was from the ASHI, um, uh, so American Home um, Home Inspectors Association mm-hmm. uh, organization, and he was kind of a his name is Douglas Hansen. He was a mover and shaker, and uh, uh, he really helped me to kind of. Uh, make introductions to uh, key personnel in that organization. Um, found them to be, you know, guys that were roofing experts. Uh, these are the guys who were, um, you know, oftentimes um, in court um, for litigation for poor home construction. Right, expert witnesses. Um, expert witnesses. Thank you. And and uh, you know, so they knew what they were talking about. And. And these guys were really hungry for a new technology as well um, to add to to their their uh, another feather in their cap. So um, so yeah, it was it was a uh, it was a great marriage, um, and I I just had a fascinating time like you know training these guys who were just eating it up. Uh, I'd, I'd spend some time 
in the field with them. And then we would do uh, a third party verification of the uh, of the inspections through our um, our network of uh, technical personnel in the Philippines as well. So they would take, you know, 100, 150 photographs, uh, complete a form and then send that to my personnel, uh, you know, our, our um, uh, technical support team in the Philippines. They would review it and then submit that to the dealers. Oh, wait, tell me more about that. I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, a technical support team in the Philippines. A lot of a lot of folks only sort of ponder from the outside how some of these bigger organizations are set up. Can you talk a little bit about the inner workings, to the extent that you can, of how, how the SunPower team uh, began or grew internationally and globally and how you leveraged uh, a workforce globally and, and how that helped you on the engineering side of the team, of the management? Yeah, so, um, so I... I you know, I interacted quite frequently with uh, the team over in the Philippines, and they were, you know, the Philippines has uh, a just a, a plethora of um, skilled um, engineers um, who uh, who you know speak English very well, and uh, and they um, uh, they're very technically capable. So uh, early on, I think back in 2010. Um, uh, I certainly wasn't the brainchild of it, but somebody had uh, come to the table at SunPower and said, "Hey, let's let's look at providing uh, some offshore services to uh, mm-hmm. uh, to to to, uh, um, to expand and to be able to to scale." And um, obviously, at that point in time, we were already uh, manufacturing in the Philippines, so we had a, a fab um, plant there. It was primarily the um, uh, the main location where we were developing cells, and so um, so there was a, a an effort to also bring on um, you know primarily it was um, it was customer customer support uh, technical support and um, I'm, I'm sure there are other departments that I'm missing there are other you know organizations like financing things like that. Um, uh, that, uh, that were also based over in the Philippines. How interesting. I know a lot of folks are going to want to hear about the, uh, the ZEP exit uh, for solar city. And we definitely want to spend some time on that. But before that, I really want to make sure that we've been able to glean your learning, not only as a, uh, as a trainer and applications engineer in the industry, someone who had their finger on the pulse of what NREL was trying to do for lowering soft costs. But I have to imagine that from your vantage point, both at SunPower and Zep, and then Solar City, you've gotten a, a, some insight into what I might call like biggest needs uh, for training in the solar industry, uh, broadly speaking, but probably more focused on residential commercial, of course, where you had your experience. And I'd also love to understand if there are any takeaways from what you did at uh, Zep in particular that have helped you now sort of in your later career. And then if through all of that, there were any sort of aha moments that created a fundamental shift in the way you sort of philosophically approach being an applications engineer and bringing products to market? So first of all, I think that, you know, my experience working at SunPower is able to see uh, a whole variety of um, opportunities for improvement in the field. And that, a lot of times that led to um, just realizing that individual companies, uh, smaller installers, didn't necessarily have their own internal training or quality um, program. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, I think that they really missed the, the ball. So, and, and actually, I've actually had um, prospective clients call me up um, recently who said, look, we're, we're scaling and we're finding that we're really having some quality issues. So we need to figure out a way to, to solve this. Um, mm. Also, you know, we're we're trying to find ways to be more operationally efficient in the field. So a lot of these, you know, all these things kind of tie in in, in my perspective because first and foremost is um, having a uh, a robust training program so that any new installer um, knows what they need to do. Um, they uh, they basically uh, have a, a full range of expectations and understanding of what their job is, what looks like, you know, what is a, 
a good quality system at the end of the day, and that there is verifications and checklists um, to make sure that at the end of a job site, they're leaving where the system is going to last, you know, 25 plus years. Mm. So, so that's, that's one um, aspect. But uh, I think that, so really, it's, it's a matter of just having, having a, you know, a comprehensive uh, training program so that, uh, you know, again, uh, individuals, have a very clear understanding of what the expectations are and what a completed job should look like at the end of the day. And then in terms of uh, efficiency, uh, you know, one can easily train on efficiency as well. So uh, making sure that, um, for example, things are prepared at the warehouse, that, um, you know, you have uh, clear roles so that um, uh, the, the foreman can get on a job site and, really just oversee the over overall operations where you have your electricians and your laborers on the roof um, with clear expectations of what they're to do and what what the job's supposed to look like at the end of the day. Do you know, I mean, is this something that you've helped companies set up in terms of uh, of, a, of checklists or in terms of, you know, giving them uh, processes to follow? Is this something that there's an organization out there who helps besides obviously you know folks like you and I who consult on an individual basis with companies that are looking to scale are there organizations that really look at uh, at, at, at providing this value to installers or giving them sort of sort of a template they can follow um, not that I'm aware of but you know there are organizations like um, right now um, I'm actually about to um, uh, possibly engage in a company that is is working with NYSERDA to establish a quality uh, a quality certification or quality program um, that will help installers do this just this mm. I mean nice you know New York is a state where um, clearly they uh, they want to incentivize and they provide incentives for installers um, and to encourage solar but they also want to make sure they're getting value for their for their investment so they're, uh, they have their own um, uh, quality assurance program where they do something very similar to what we were doing at a, at a larger scale uh, at SunPower, where they are you know, uh, going around, they have a quality checklist that, um, uh, that they've developed uh, and, are, um, uh, and are, are doing valid, validation on that. So actually there is an organization that uh, a colleague of mine actually used to work with as well. Um, and I just saw them at, uh, at InterSolar. Mm-hmm. Um, so Burnham Energy is a company that... Oh, right, yeah. Are you familiar with them? Yeah, they were doing, back uh, in the day, they were doing permitting expediting, right? Yeah. So they, they have a whole host of services that they're providing now, one of which is, um, is this quality checklist that, um, uh, that they're able to do uh, remotely um, through photos. Uh, you know, it's actually something that um, Solar City was doing. It's something that Sungevity was doing where uh, they basically had a, uh, an internal employee that was, um, that was reviewing images throughout the job. And um, so each, each install... Uh, you had, um, you know, maybe 100, 150 photos that were required to validate the job. The problem with that is, you know, it it, it does leave it open for for uh, either misinterpretation or um, uh, or for gaming the system as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, so you 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 kind of have to have that combined with on-site um, inspectors. Um, you know, randomly to uh, to just view some photos and or, or some job sites to uh, to validate that as well. But I would say that um, you know they they have a pretty robust program where it actually ties with GPS as well, and it has timestamps. So um, so it's it's uh, it, it it sounds pretty good. I haven't looked into it uh, in complete detail, but it's certainly something mm-hmm. that I. I would uh, suggest guys take a look at if you're looking to develop your own um, quality program. Yeah, for sure. You know, something occurs to me, I, I don't think I really understand the outcomes necessarily uh, as, a, as someone who's not directly involved in residential uh, or reducing soft costs. But back to the question on soft costs before we move forward into lessons mm-hmm. learned. Can you point to specific results that have come out of this in real, you know, we spent taxpayer dollars on 
this program to reduce soft costs. What are some of the tangible results in the industry right now? And what are the things that you see coming that uh, that are a result of us as an industry focusing on now not not reducing module costs, but reducing installation costs and hardware costs and software costs? Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of it was, um, you know, there's there's a whole host of components that uh, are, are uh, considered as part of the soft costs. One of which is obviously uh, obviously layer uh, labor, which is um, you know a result of better products and mm-hmm. uh, better processing flows as well um, on the job site. Um, you also have your uh, sales acquisition costs and permitting and interconnection costs. So there, there are there are efforts to expedite the permit process. There's been efforts over the, uh, a number of years to find ways to reduce um, uh, the permitting and and, uh, and costs associated with with that. And that's that's been effective um, on a whole host, a whole range of uh, of efforts um, from Sierra Club and other organizations like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, the overall soft costs have been coming down, but, um, again, if you look at the total cost of the system, there's still a higher percentage, uh, compared to Australia, compared to Germany, um, other countries like that. Mm-hmm. And a large part of that, I, I think is that, you know, in Australia, I looked very closely at this, um, while I was at Sun, while I was at, uh, Solar City and found that, um, the sales acquisition costs were considerably lower over in Australia. And a large part of that, I believe, is due to the fact that um, most of your sales over there are referrals. And if not referrals, um, you have one or two other households on your neighbor, you know, in your neighborhood, on your street that have already gone solar. Right. So they don't have they don't have to do the initial, um, you know, convincing that solar is a good investment. Um, you've got neighbors that basically are going to help you to, uh, uh, to, to make that decision. Um, it's more so just competing on price and, uh, and reputation of the company and make sure they're going to be around for a while. So, so yeah, so I think from that perspective, I think that the, uh, the costs, um, relatively speaking, for sales acquisition has been a, a dramatic hurdle for a lot of the, the scaled solar companies, the Solar City, the Vivens, which has really hurt them, and which is why I think we're we're you know we've seen the long tail, uh, the smaller regional installers yeah. have had a, a huge uh, resurgence over the past uh, year or two. Of course, yeah, and I think that we'll continue to see that. I think we'll see more. Uh, regionalization of these residential solar installation crews, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. simply because it's a, it's a more efficient use of the manpower. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'd love to hear some insight, if you will, you know, spend some time on this transition to Solar City. I think uh, probably everybody probably knows that Zep was acquired uh, by Solar City. You know, I, I, I am so interested to hear from you as someone from on the inside who went through that process. Uh, so you, you took a big risk, you know, stepping out of a position at SunPower, one of the global leaders in solar, to go to this little startup uh, called Zep Solar, Jack West and his and his rowdy bunch uh, trying to change the way that solar is mounted on residential rooftops. I have to imagine that part of the reason you did that was because you expected that the vision would be realized that there was some sort of a liquidation event, right? An, an exit where uh, you guys could achieve the entrepreneurial zen of selling the company. Um, and then, you know, several, I think it was several years after you joined, you guys did have the opportunity to sell to Solar City. Could you walk me through a bit of what that, what that felt like on the inside and how, uh, if at all, it changed uh, your job and your perspective on the industry? Uh, yeah. Um, but I, I have to correct you a little bit. So, I mean, the uh, certainly I moved over from, you know, kind of a, I would say, a, a, a position that was um, uh, pretty stable over at SunPower to a new startup um, because of the potential uptick in, in, in the event that, uh, that there was a good um, exit. Right. But, um, but I, I would say that, you know, my primary... Uh, uh, focus on on making that transition was that I I saw uh, personnel 
at ZEP, uh, leadership at ZEP, um, that had a, a, a much greater vision and enabled me the ability to kind of shape um, shape the future of the company, uh, uh, shape the culture. And that was much more interesting because, you know, working for a, a large behemoth like, like SunPower, um, oftentimes, uh, it felt, uh, it felt challenging to, to move the ball. And, uh, the, the process of development was very slow and, um, you know, solar industry was moving so fast. So, um, you really needed to, um, uh, to be able to be innovative in a quick fashion. So for, for me, it was, um, you know, the, the transition was more uh, coming from that space. Um, obviously, you know, ZEP, I would say for me, was um, a career highlight because I was able to build such an amazing team and the culture that we had there. We had so much fun. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and it came out. I mean, we, we worked hard, but we played hard as well. And that, uh, that was really, it's always been my philosophy. And, and uh, we were able to play out there and, and be very successful as a result of that. The, um, the acquisition was certainly a very interesting time. Like just prior to the acquisition, uh, Zep Solar had become profitable. Um, and we had, uh, uh, back in, um, early, um, uh, 2013, we had about 43% market share of the residential market. Wow. Uh, which was huge going from, you know, 0% in 2010 to that larger percent, uh, percentage in that short period of time. And so, and we had, um, you know, we had, uh, relationships with most of, um, the top 10, uh, installers in the country. Um, and we're, we're forging, uh, additional ones at that stage. Um, the, um, uh, the transition was uh, both exciting and nerve nerve wracking at the same time. Uh, I think many people were fearful of uh, of the potential change in culture, um, but um, but I think you know that the the ZEP uh, um, executive team did a good job in in trying to um, uh, make sure that uh, the team was still together, was cohesive. Uh, mm -hmm. and really at the end of the day, um, solar city basically said, look, you guys have your magic here and we don't want to touch that. So, um, there weren't a lot of changes in the very beginning stage. Um, from a personal standpoint, um, I had, uh, I had to make a decision whether I was going to focus more on the domestic, uh, side of things or, uh, to venture into uh, more of the international market expansion efforts, and oh wow, uh, and so from my own personal perspective, I mean, I've, I've, uh, I helped ZEP to um, expand into other markets like Australia and Germany and and Japan uh, early in my career, so that was kind of a natural transition for me, um, and so I I took that on, and so for much of um, you know the 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 two years that I stayed on with solar city after the, the acquisition, um, I was focused on, um, international expansion efforts and, uh, and trying to bring the, the product, um, sort of as a beachhead for eventual solar city entries. It didn't necessarily work out, um, you know, as, as cleanly as that, I think in large part, because there were, uh, there was a lot of uncertainty in the marketplace. Was the idea, sorry for interrupting, was the mm -hmm. idea to find folks who would naturally gravitate towards that type of product and see who among them could scale and then uh, uh, presumably SolarCity could at that point acquire uh, those companies to be able to move into those markets? Uh, that was one of the many ideas that came out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, you know, the idea was to kind of seed the market to test out various different markets oh, um, and yeah, to work with local partners there, which would then eventually be potential acquisition targets um, and, and act as beachheads for those markets. Um, and then we were, we were pretty far along that, um, in the UK, for example, um, I spent, uh, uh, probably about five months 
uh, of my time in the UK building out that uh, uh, the product in um, 2015. And then unfortunately, uh, the UK government did about a, a 180, about, yeah, exactly, yeah. about face 180 degree turnaround. And uh, and basically um, killed the solar tariff uh, um, uh, and the incentive program over there, which really killed the value prop any longer. So uh, so we had developed, you know, some amazing products for uh, for the uh, UK roof types, which are very unique. Uh, wow. And uh, and then uh, so internally at Solar City, you guys continue to innovate around the ZEP product. Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yep. How cool. How cool. Was there anything that you that uh, you expected about sort of being rolled up into Solar City that wasn't realized, or maybe the inverse is true? Um, I think that um, you know, I I think the the cultural change was probably uh, more dramatic than I think I had anticipated. Um, yeah. You know, I think you know, I I joined Zep as well. Like I, from a personal standpoint. I find that working at a small innovative company where you're really able to make a, a huge change um, is very rewarding. Uh, and so there, there were definitely challenges um, uh, working with a much larger organization, but it was it was exciting at the same time because Solar right. City was just such a large scale organization that was was moving uh, the industry in, in a very different way and, and scaling to levels that we didn't you know we've never seen before was there anything that you can talk about publicly that that impressed you about the way they run their business that you just did that's kind of next level is there something that makes solar city special what solar city did extremely effectively was uh they were able to take a lot of analytics and Mm -hmm. uh, and look at every aspect of the business um and measure and improve upon it so um, every little detail all the way down to, um, uh, to, um, you know, purchasing items at Home Depot, um, uh, or, um, uh, you know, they, they, um, they really looked at every tiny little aspect, um, and, uh, and, and, um, uh, and found ways to, um, improve upon it through, uh, comparing one office to the next, um, sharing ideas. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of those things were, I think, extremely innovative. And, and because they were able to scale as, as large as they were, uh, they were um, they were able to drive those costs down dramatically. Um, so, you know, um, yeah, I think I think <laughs> there's there's a lot of things that I I. I can't necessarily talk about because they're it, it's right. still a public company. Trade secrets, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but um, but no, I think you know they're um, you know I was I was integral in helping uh, Solar City develop their uh, their training program as well as their quality program, and I think that you know from what I was from what I've seen uh, across the industry. Solar City really is is a leader in both of those areas. We were we were actually hiring at the at the height of the uh, of, of the transition um, and and the height of the market um, in early 2015. We were hiring about a hundred installers per week, uh, wow. training them at four or five different training centers across the country. Uh, for you know a full week before they would then get into the field and transition with their with their crews, um, installers were you know paid uh, panel pegs as as you probably know. So right. there is a a big transition at that point in time where you know the um, the the leadership at Solar City uh, was able to take a lot of things. Um, that previously I think were were not really looked at. So, for example, looking at um, transitioning from a Sprinter van to uh, um, to a box truck, so you could carry um, you know 20 kilowatts instead of five kilowatts. So you'd go from job to job rather than back to the warehouse after each job. And these crews could install two, three, sometimes four systems in a day. Wow! Yeah. 
Well, that's that's definitely uh, an insightful iteration on on the job sort of operations improvement, right? Mm-hmm. One thing I don't want to forget to ask is around the ways that you looked at commercial rooftop in particular. I think the commercial market is going to boom uh, in the U.S. and and you know more broadly speaking globally through Latin America in the coming years. Uh, one of the things that we see from Europe that tried to get into the U.S. and not and was moderately successful. I think we're going to see it both in the uh, in the res- excuse me in the commercial market as well as in the utility market. Is this idea? of east-west facing arrays. Mm-hmm. You guys introduced a product with uh, Zep Peak that uh, I know that ga- gained some moderate traction here and you guys began to use that in the UK as well. What do you, where do you see the uh, the iterations around racking with regard to specifically commercial uh, projects and how the use of east-west facing versus the traditional sort of south or southwest facing at, at a 10 to 20 degree tilt? How's that conversation evolving in the industry right now? Yeah, I think, well, it, it, it comes down to the cost of modules, right? So, um, so it used to be that you were trying to squeeze every single kilowatt hour out of an individual module. Uh, that's why you, you tilt it, you know, 20, 30 degrees, face it south, and get as best as you could. With, um, with module pricing coming down dramatically, um, there's, uh, you know, a, a, a more focus on trying to get as much um, – as much production on a roof as possible. So, uh, so that's why there's been a huge transition to east-west um, facing roofs with lower slope slope tilts as well. And what Zep had uh, done a fair bit of research around was to try to determine, you know, what what the best LCOE would be based on uh, based on a design such as an east-west facing roof. Uh, so that product, um, it, it, it really helped Zep to, um, to leverage a couple things. Um, uh, previous to that, uh, uh, Solar City was actually using um, uh, subcontractors on the commercial side, and, um, and they were finding that um, you know, they were leaving a lot of labor costs on the table. Um, uh, by developing an in-house product that um, through training could really accelerate the, uh, the speed and, and efficiency of the product. It, it did two things. I mean, one, it enabled us to, um, um, to hire and to train personnel in-house at SolarCity, um, right. uh, which then uh, enabled, you know, uh, uh, much faster installs, much lower labor costs, and leverage a technology that was developed in-house. Uh, so the, the the challenge is that you know when when you have a boom industry, um, uh, it's not a it's not a big deal to have that overhead. But I think that's what in part has um, has created a struggle for Solar City and now Tesla is that they have so much overhead uh, with uh, internal employees that um, um, uh, that that's been a bit of a challenge. Uh, but the, the the product itself, um, I think, you know, to to your point, um, the the next innovation basically is to try and find ways to squeeze even more um, room um, on a roof surface. And as you know from from your previous company uh, working at Lumetta Solar, uh, mm-hmm. that's that's where I can see the industry moving in, in this next direction, where um, you've got modules um, flat on the surface, whether they're adhesively attached or some other method where you're, you're trying to maximize the, the overall space um, on those commercial mm-hmm. rooftops. Really, it really almost makes uh, Mr. Dinwoody seem very prescient here in 2017, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, when I think about the fact that we might be going back to a panel, a, t- a product like panel guard mm-hmm. uh, or power, power, power guard, guard. Yep. Um, you know, and, and certainly I love the Lumetta guys. Um, they they have uh, they have been fighting the good fight trying to remove weight mm-hmm. uh, from from solar. Um, you know, I was going to ask a follow up question actually around whether or not the east west orientation allows you to remove weight because of the uh, improved uh, wind uplift or, or it does. Or, 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 yeah, yeah. It, it certainly does. And so you you found we found that the ballast weight was considerably lower um, mm. uh, as so a result of that. 
Yeah, so that expands your market and rooftop options when you've got, mm-hmm. you know, your average Walmart or Target has a three dollar, a three pound per square foot roof load uh, max, and uh, notably, Solar City did a lot of those. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So exactly. every yeah, and did every one of them that had more than three pound square foot mm-hmm. uh, load. Um, well, so well, that's really I think that's really interesting. Certainly, keen insight. Uh, I, I was uh, unaware until just recently seeing you at. Uh, at Intersolar, that Lumetta was even still, uh, despite keeping in touch with those guys, mm-hmm. that it was still uh, moving along, plodding along. It sounds like they uh, that perhaps they have a product uh, about to reemerge on the market. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So um, uh, yeah, Lumetta is a, a very interesting company. Um, you know, they they were involved in this DOE Sunshot grant uh, a little while ago to. Um, uh, to innovate and create a, a plug-and-play product on the residential side, and so um, so really have been uh, preparing to relaunch with a more standard 60 cell and 72 cell module that is uh, you know it's, it's semi-rigid. It uses silicon uh, standard silicon uh, cells and um, extremely lightweight and it would adhere directly to the roof, both composition mm-hmm. shingle as well as tile roof. So we're going to see a, you know, it's pretty exciting because we're going to see a dramatic reduction in insulation costs. There's no penetrations on the roof. Um, so it adds a lot of value on the residential side that, um, uh, that I think hasn't, hasn't really been seen before. Interesting. Yeah, I think when uh, when the meta's ready to, I know that the it's they're sort of coming out of stealth again now, mm-hmm. uh, po- post Fraunhofer uh, iterations and whatnot on the product. I think when they're when the meta's ready to really hit the hit the ground with the product and 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 release it, if you will, I'm gonna invite Brian and Tim on the show and talk mm-hmm. a bit about not just reminiscing about my history with Lametta and right. and uh, and the and the fun that we had that in those days, but. Uh, how this product has really improved and, and what it could do for the residential market. That's really cool. So, what I gather is that part of what you've done now moving uh, out of Solar City is sort of what I mentioned in the intro, which is helping bring better products and services to the industry. And I imagine that uh, you know your clients see a lot of value not only in what you've experienced at Zet, but then then Solar City. Do you have any sort of key lessons or takeaways from, uh, you know, the, uh, let's call it the last decade of, uh, of growth trajectory in your career that you'd pass along or advice to others who might be following in your footsteps? I, I take that as two separate um, questions, really, because I think that from a, from a product standpoint, um, you know, I think the, the thing that I've learned the most is to, ex- you know, put extreme value on the input that you get from the guys in the field. Um mm. I, I think that that can't be under, you know, uh, uh, overstated because um, there's there's so much, um, such a vast amount of knowledge from the guys who are doing this day in day out that uh, that oftentimes um, uh, gets overlooked in the product development phase. And you know, the the other thing is that you know you, you the the role of uh, applications engineering and being able to um, have a, a close relationship with um, with your product development and field applications engineers is so critical to coming out with the right product. I think oftentimes um, guys are developing product, um, uh, you know, in a silo, and unfortunately, when it when the time comes out and the product gets out in the market, it's oftentimes too late to make. Um, multiple iterations at that point in time and the feedback, you know, it, it's, you're, you're going to be, you know, throwing a dart to try and find the right mix um, and the right uh, uh, um, product iterations to get that out and be successful first, Mm. first time around. So um, what, what I've been working on with uh, multiple clients is basically to develop an internal process so that, you can have those um, quick iterations and provide a, a space to test out the products um, uh, prior to it seeing the light of day. And uh, you know, you're, you're, whether it's 3D printing, whether it's using mm-hmm. uh, water jetting or some other technology to get um, uh, quick prototypes and then improve upon that. So I think I think that's. That's really what I've been bringing, at least in terms of the the product um, iteration and uh, innovation space. 
you know, depending upon whether you're vested or not, seek some good um, financial, uh, uh, um, I would say, good financial advice, um, mm. whether you speak to a financial advisor, uh, whether you speak to, um, you know, an accountant and so forth to to figure that space out. Um, I think, mm-hmm. you know, I I sort of uh, um, I I did pretty well in the transition, but I would say that uh, uh, through some some uh, uh, maybe getting some some not so good advice, um, uh, uh, I uh, I certainly didn't uh, end up where I, I'd hoped I would be uh, uh-huh. financially speaking. So, Nico, what I was talking to you about is like you know again, I don't want to come across as like um, you know, somebody who is sore or, or, um, you know, sour at the experience cause I'm really not. So, um, but what, um, I think it's important to, you know, get good financial advice, um, to make that transition and understand that, you know, oftentimes when there's acquisitions, there's going to be transitions. And, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times the, uh, depending upon who the acquirer is, um, uh, you know, I, I would say that there are, um, be prepared for, uh, transitioning and making sure that your, um, your, your, your skill set is, uh, is, is seen and you're, um, you know, you're working diligently to find your place in the new organization. Mm, you have to you have to show yourself uh, uh, again, which is not not always easy, especially for engineers. Right. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of politics, and you have to make sure that the new acquiring company understands and clearly sees the value add, right? Mm-hmm. And and where you are going to make a difference in their organization. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. They're trying to figure out how to integrate a, a new team, and uh, and certainly you're either displacing or or, or adding to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who you know the talent they already have i get that and you know it's i'm glad you mentioned the whole financial aspect a lot of people probably feel uh would look at someone in your position at zep and think oh this guy you know made uh, probably made you know he's a hundred thousand air or maybe he's a millionaire like he probably had a great exit from this zep uh, acquisition um but my guess is that uh you're still the same person more or less and it wasn't particularly life-changing uh and our and our you know i'm also expecting based on our previous conversations that uh the biggest uh, value that it gave to your uh to your life was just being able to see the impact that your product had on the industry rather than uh than the acquisition on your ba- on your balance sheet personally yeah like i said i mean it, it's uh it's really rewarding these days when i you know travel both in the u.s and, and internationally and see a Zep system out there, and it makes me feel great that uh, you know, as part of that organization that developed a product that really helped to expand and get more solar out there. Because at the end of the mm-hmm. day, I mean, I, I got into solar primarily because I've been passionate about the industry. I've been passionate about trying to transition us away from fossil fuels, and uh, and so the. The objective of that is to get the most solar out there, and what better way to do that than to make solar uh, more cost-effective and better, uh, better looking? And so, you know, the the experience that Zep was able to achieve both those things in one fell swoop, um, which is which is rewarding. And like I said, to be part of an organization, both Zep and Solar City, that was getting you know, megawatts and gigawatts out there was extremely rewarding. That That is awesome. Well, what has you most excited right now for solar growth in the, in the U.S. market or internationally? I mean, what's what's next on your radar? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, uh, right now, um, you know, working uh, as a principal at uh, PVT Solar, basically working with numerous organizations to uh, innovate in a whole variety of, of areas, both um, mounting PV technology and I'm looking at storage space as well. Um, mm-hmm. to, to me personally, um, I'm really excited about storage and, and you know, it, it's, uh, I do see a huge transition over the next uh, three to five years where um, every system is going to be uh, incorporated both commercially as well as residentially, um, with some type of storage, uh, capacity. Wow. Wow. 
Very interesting prognostication almost uh, replaces the need for me to have a bold prediction at the end of the show. But, um, you know, what's what's standing in the way right now? If I if I ask one more question around just the storage aspect, what's standing in the way right now uh, to get us to the place where every system has, as you say, a, a storage component? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I uh, looking at from a residential standpoint, because I think residential is lagging certainly in, in the U.S. Um, behind commercial. Um, a lot of it is the battery technology. Um, a lot of it is trying to monetize um, uh, the the value um, of that uh, excess capacity. Um, so, uh, so there's there's a lot of uh, innovation on software side of things at this point in time from various different companies, mm-hmm. both domestically and internationally. And I think I think um, once we're able to um, to, to monetize that. Um, that, that's certainly one, I think one reason that we'll start to see a faster transition, but also, you know, as, you know, as, as you know, net metering is in flux in multiple States. Um, that is also going to help to accelerate the, the transition to storage, um, uh, as you're no longer getting the value from your PV system, the excess Mm -hmm. generation that you're you're sending over the grid. So if you can actually store that and then get that same value out of it at a later point in time, then that makes the financial case for storage yeah. as well. Is that is that what people mean when they refer to uh, load shifting? Um, load shifting, um, uh, demand charges. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's there's other uh, value streams that um, that we're just not able to uh, to take advantage of at this point in time. I always ask, what book are you reading now? Similarly, what are the books that have had the biggest impact on the way uh, you sort of approach life? What's shaped you and influenced you as a leader? Um, you know, I would say more so um, what shaped me as a leader is uh, people that I've actually worked with. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I look at, um, you know, personnel, whether it's um, whether it's personnel that I've worked directly with or that have been in the industry that have really shaped who I've been. You know, for example, uh, when I worked at uh, SunPower, I w- worked under Mark Morose, who is uh, who has been training in, in the solar industry for, you know, uh, he's probably going on almost 40 years or so. Somebody with as much passion and energy as that, um, uh, who's actually trained most of the major, you know, trainers out there, trainer organizations, uh, he trained the, the, the personnel, uh, like mm. Johnny Weiss over at SEI. Oh, wow. Uh, so, so that to me is kind of shaped who I am because I look at, um, I look at somebody and I have a lot of respect for, uh, somebody like Mark who, um, who's, who's just been an innovator, uh, constant innovator throughout his career and, uh, mm. and, and has, um, has inspired me. Very cool. We'll have to get Mark on the show. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. What publications are you are you into? Well, I mean, I, I read most of the, uh, or at least I should say, I thumb through like uh, Pro Solar and uh, uh, mm-hmm. and, and Reno, Renewable Energy World. I get a lot of my information through Green Tech Media. Um, I'm a, uh-huh. I'm a member, um, a, a Squared member. So, oh wow! So I, I get a lot of my industry information and and uh, and information like that through industry publications. Very, very cool. Yeah, shout out to GTM Squared. They've done Absolutely. a really great job of uh, of curating excellent information behind uh, that behind that specific paywall. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, what one thing do you do consistently that yields the greatest impact or results in your life? One thing I do consistently, um, you know, I think that for um, for me, it's treating people with respect and um, giving people, you know, from from a, a leadership standpoint, um, I've always found that if you give people the, the right tools and uh, and the information and motivate them, then mm-hmm. they're going to excel in their careers. And, you know, it, it's actually, it's one of the things I'm most proud of uh, working at, at Zep and other, other uh, capacities um, is that a lot of the personnel, a lot of guys that reported up to me have excelled in their careers. Um, 
because they've had somebody who believed in them and who who is uh, who's been able to mentor them and and not stand in their way. You know, I'm I, I've always taken an approach of um, uh, I, I guess I've had a lot of a lot of good managers in my career and and also uh, a lot of managers that um, have helped me to figure out what not to do um, and mm. and in part. <laughs> You know, in part, um, uh, what I've tried to do is give people the tools uh, and, and the resources that they need and then uh, and then uh, uh, provide them with encouragement and allow them to spread their wings and be successful. Get out of the way. Yeah. Get out of the way. Exactly. Very, very, very cool. Well, Chad, where can people find you? How can they engage with you? <laughs> Um, so you can take a look at my website, which is uh, pvtconsulting.com, um, and uh, you can click on contact there. Um, I'm I'm not a Twitter user, um, so uh, so that is mm-hmm. probably my my best uh, best way to get in touch with me, um, or you can uh, reach me through LinkedIn as well. Very very cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll link to your LinkedIn profile as well. Well, uh, we may have already covered the topic, but I always end with a uh, what I call bold prediction. Chad, what one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? Yeah, well, as as I mentioned, I I see. I I, I don't think that it's uh, it's unique. That I believe it, a lot of other people are also um, uh, seeing a transition to energy storage. But I think that um, along with that, I also see. Uh, a huge transition to home, whole home automation, uh, combined with the uh, storage and um, and electric vehicles. So I think there's about four different large um, technologies that are converging at this point in time, and um, you know companies like Solar City, uh, Nest, organizations like that. Mm-hmm. Are already starting to to make this transition and to uh, to work together to find ways to integrate all of those um, uh, technologies. So that's mm-hmm. that's going to be exciting to see. Personal and uh, trans uh, automotive storage integrating into the Internet of Things. Exactly. Very, yeah, very very cool. Well, if and when that comes to pass, we will certainly talk about it here on Suncast. Chad, I am stoked to have. The honor of having you on Suncast today. Thanks so much for your time, man. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. That's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors, and you're now well-armed for battle. Hopefully, you'll take away some great tools for your own success. I'd love it if you'd share what you learned or share the episode over on LinkedIn. Let me know what other tools you need. If you want to sharpen the axe a little bit more, I've shared some of the resources we discussed in today's conversation over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the latest episode link in the title bar. Perhaps the best tool in your arsenal might be subscribing to the mailing list while you're there so that you'll get an email from yours truly when new content is available. Have a suggestion for someone you think should join the conversation? Email me, nico at mysuncast.com or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Hey, that's it. Thanks for being here. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.